So this morning, um, I'm going to start out my message with a number with a, with a few questions. Um, you don't have to raise your hand to answer these, but I do want you this morning, as we go through, to honestly think about each one and honestly answer them in your mind. The title of the message this morning is, Am I Born Again? is like my main question, and then I'm going to ask some other questions that point to that one or are related to that one. Can everybody see that okay? Um, Maybe a little bit difficult with the bright sunshine and snow outside, but turn with me to John chapter 3. If you've struggled with the following questions that we're going to look at, then this message is especially for you. But even if you don't struggle with these questions, I hope that you can find strength and assurance by looking at the passages we're going to look at today. But John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, We know that thou art our teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me just pause there for a moment. Why is it so important whether we can answer this question, Am I born again? Jesus stated it very clearly. There's no exceptions. It says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's not another possibility. There's not an exception to the rule. It is the rule. The only way we can see the kingdom of God is if we're born again. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. So are you born again? Just as Jesus said, it's not something that's done physically that you can see on the outside. And so it isn't just, are you wearing the right clothes? Are you, do you have the, um, the right, whatever it is, whatever in your mind you're picking and choosing, it's, on, it's something done internally. It's something done spiritually. It's inside our heart, inside our mind, that God does the work of us being born again. 
So along with that question, I have some other questions this morning that I want us to, to look at. The first one is, am I a child of God? Do you honestly believe this morning that you are a child of God? Not in the general sense that we were all created by God, but in a born-again spiritual sense. Is Jesus Lord of your life? And I'm going to ask that question again later on. But is he Lord of your life? Is he, are you living your life in such a way that you sense and feel that you are a child of God? Next question is, has God completely forgiven me? Do you believe that he loves you unconditionally? That no matter what you've done, you've asked forgiveness and it's under his blood. The fourth question is, Have I ever felt God's presence? Maybe you're a young believer here this morning. I know I struggled with the question of, am I born again? Am I saved? Am I ready to meet God if I die when I was younger? And sometimes as God takes you through your life, he brings experiences into your life that helps you to be able to answer that and you gain more confidence throughout your life. But I believe for others, they can struggle with that for a really long time. And someone I was speaking with recently said they'd been a Christian for 10 years, over 10 years, and still had never sensed the presence of God in their life. So I want to look at these questions because they are hard questions. They are things that can make us either strengthen our faith or really, really struggle in our faith if we've never truly been able to answer yes to the questions I looked at this morning. So looking again at the one I am born again, let's turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So we clearly see that it's something that God does in us. Yes, we have to make the choice to follow him. But to be born again, it's the action, it's the work of God in our life. It's not acts and actions done on the outside. We can't wash with a special soap and clean the outside of us. We can't have surgery to remove warts and un things that we don't like to see on our fa- on our body, that will never make us born again. It's something that God does internally. I uh, missed part of my notes here. I just want to go back and think again of that. The question, um, when it comes to answering these questions,
One of the one of the things that we'll run into if you listen to Protestant preachers, and that's why we have to be careful who we listen to and how much we buy into what they're teaching. But one of the questions is when it comes to being born again, and especially if you have been born again, but you're still struggling in your faith to truly believe that you are born again and saved and ready to meet God. And that is in, can I, can I lose my faith? Can I lose my salvation after I've been born again? And that's a whole, that's a whole message in of itself. I'm not going to go there this morning, but I do want to look at a couple of examples. We have examples where um, people did fall away, and we'll look at that Later on, we'll look at those scriptures. But there were people in the Bible that struggled at times. Even though God was using them, they struggled at times with these hard questions. How can I answer? How can, how, am I sure I'm saved? Am I sure I'm following God the way I should be? Am I sure he's going to come through for me? And some of, and some of those names, I'll just mention them now. But we have Moses, um, even after he had led the children of Israel out of Egypt and God had worked miraculous things through the plagues, yet along would come another difficulty and he would turn to God and ask for his help. He didn't understand why. Elijah, who God did amazing things through, we think of the altar of Baal and the fire coming down and consuming it. And yet he struggled. He asked God, you know, am I, the, am I the only one? Am I alone? And God assured him that he wasn't. In the New Testament, we have John the Baptist struggling. I don't know that John the Baptist was struggling with who God was. But he wasn't quite sure if he had if Jesus was the one that he was the predecessor for, the one he'd come to prepare the way for. And so he sent some of his disciples to go and ask Jesus for answers. He had questions. And so questions in and of themselves are not wrong. It's not wrong to ask. As long as our motivation is not to destroy our faith it's not to deny that there is a god and that the bible is true but if we're simply just asking why questions to strengthen our faith and to come to a greater understanding i believe these are good questions but many churches and many people today have given the wrong explanation to what it means to be born again if you get into the charismatic movements they will tell you you must be able to speak in tongues and do other outward um, manifestations of supposed, supposedly being born again. And I believe that can, if, if you've been in those type of groups, it can be damaging to you and discouraging to you when it comes to, am I truly a child of God? Am I truly born again? Because it does not change us instantly as far as outwardly you become a christian i do believe 
that people around you will start noticing through your behavior, through your responses to difficulty. But it doesn't change your skin color. It doesn't change your height. It doesn't change anything that people can just pick out in that way. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to be going to 1 John quite a bit this morning. I believe it has a number of things to help us understand what it means to be born again and what it does not mean. How to know whether we're saved or not saved. 1 John chapter 1, beginning of verse 4. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say then we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So I don't believe that we have anybody here this morning that say they are sinless, free of sin, have never sinned. But there are people out there that have tried to give that idea about themselves. There are movements, there are groups that would imply that pretty much they're basically sinless and if you follow them, you can be too. And we recognize that that is not truth. But at the same time, we do recognize that living in sin does not have to be our lives the rest of our lives. It does not have to be that we cannot have victory over sin. But when it speaks of light here, it's speaking of righteousness, godly things. And when it speaks of darkness, it usually refers to sin, the things of the world, and the works of Satan. So how do we know if we're walking in the light or walking in darkness? And I think all we have to do is observe, be self-aware of our own lives. What are, what are our minds dwelling on? What are we filling our time with? Is it godly things? Or is the majority of it worldly things? Sinful pleasures? Where does our mind go to most of the time? Now I'd like to turn a couple pages over and thinking about the question, do born-again people sin? First John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. 
He that saith he abideth in him also also to walk, even as he walked. This isn't saying that those who are born again never sin, but if we do, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is there to help us, not only for his blood to cover that sin, but for us to gain victory over that sin so that we don't keep just going back to it and back to it over and over. I've always liked the example we have in the Old Testament of what I believe is a reaction to sin by a believer and by a non-believer. And that's the examples of David and Saul. When David sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, no, he didn't immediately confess it, but when he was confronted, he repented of the sin. He, he admitted that he had done wrong and repent was repentant. Saul, on the other hand, when he sinned by not obeying the commandment of God, and I would say that Saul's sin was less serious than David's in the sense that he, he didn't commit fornication, adultery, or whatever. He didn't have someone killed in the sense he kept people from being killed kept animals from being killed but yet he was in disobedience he was in sin before God but what did he do when he was confronted did he repent no he blamed others and so when there's sin made known in our life when we're confronted what is our reaction is it just to blame others well so and so you know, they, they they yelled at me this morning and I was having a bad day, and, you know. I just I just couldn't help it. Or do we repent of that and ask for God's help to not do it again? I believe we are no longer born again when sin no longer feels like sin. If we feel guilty for sin, I believe that we are still born again. God is still able to work in our life. I'm going to give a couple examples here. Maybe you disagree with me and come up to me afterwards and be glad to talk about it, talk it through. Take two men. One man views pornography and then repents and seeks God's help. Not to do it again. That's the one man. The second man is shacking up with a woman to whom he is not married. I believe it's possible for the first man to still be born again. Yes, he failed. He did a sin that in God's eyes is just as bad as the second one. But he repented and asked for God's help to grow. The second man, though, is choosing to live daily in his sin and is not repentant. Is it possible for him to repent at some point in his life? Yes. But he is not. And there's a difference. First man is possible to be born again. The second is not. Another example. A woman has lusted for another woman's husband, but then repents and seeks God's help to not do it again. Versus another woman 
who openly flirts with and gives her heart to other men when she is already married. Once again, I believe it's possible for the first woman to still be born again, but I don't believe it is for the second without a total repentance and changing the behavior. I've often heard this passage referenced, and it's often referenced when it comes to... um, You can turn to Romans chapter 7 if you want. It often is referenced to believers in our struggle to want to do good, but finding ourselves doing what is wrong. And this is a hard passage to to read. It takes some time to think through. But I really liked the ESV version of this passage. So what I did is I actually blew it up here on the PowerPoint. And I'm going to read it from... The ESV, but if you want to, you can follow along, especially as you use other versions. You should be careful that it does not change what God's Word says. Well, I'm going to read it on the PowerPoint on ESV. What then shall we say? What the law that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said. You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of. And there's an issue with. I laid it out on my PowerPoint at home, and obviously it's changed it here. Missing part of verse 8. Turn to that. Romans chapter 7. Verse 8. The verse ends without, but um, for without the law, sin was dead. And then we go on to verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good, speaking of the law, then bring death to me? By no means it was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing. And that was verse 15. But I I do what I hate that I do. And that's a very common quoted verse among Christians today. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And Terrell has talked about it, and I agree with him that some people try to say that this passage in Romans is referring to the struggle that people who are born again have with sin. But I believe this was speaking, Paul was speaking of his life before he was born again. That he was constantly wanting to do what was right. He knew the law. He knew the law. He was, he was taught. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the law of Moses. And yet he kept struggling with it. He was not born again. And so he continued to fall back into sin. But then let's turn to the next chapter, Romans chapter 8. Pick up a verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns him in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they which are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I believe Romans 8 now is Paul after he met Christ, after he was born again. It doesn't mean that Paul never sinned again, never struggled, never fell back to things of the flesh, but yet he didn't walk after the flesh, as it says here, but he walked after the Spirit. He was no longer powerless to have victory over sin. He, through the power of Jesus Christ, could have victory over sin. Didn't mean he was sinless, but it wasn't just the ever-consuming, all-powerful thing in his life. Christ was able to give him victory. Because now he was spiritually minded instead of carnally. But I believe one of the things to look at, if we do continue to do the same sin over and over Eventually the Holy Spirit will leave us and we will lose our salvation. And the Bible speaks of sinning against the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's, I believe that's the sin, sinning against the Holy Spirit. is where the Holy Spirit convicts us that we are sinning. And yet we ignore the Holy Spirit. And we do not repent. And we will get to the point where we are no longer born again. There are those who say we can't lose it. We can't. Um, Once we're born again, once we're saved, we can never lose that or walk away from God. And so what they have to do is they have to then change the argument to say, 
well, you never were born again. And I think that's where sometimes we may struggle with, are we truly born again? If we've heard that, that teaching, that mentality that, well, if you're struggling with sin, or you see someone else who has totally abandoned their faith and go back to sinning, how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we explain that? And there's three examples given in Scripture. You may be able to find more, but I found three. The first one is in 2 Timothy 4.10. It says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica, Cratians to Galatia, and Titus unto Dalmatia. Now, Cratians and Titus did not turn their backs on their faith or on God or on Paul but Demas did and so to argue that Demas was never born again Paul mentions him a couple of other times in the New Testament at one point he calls him a fellow laborer I don't believe Paul would have called an unsaved person a fellow laborer I believe he was saved he was born again and yet he turned his back on that because he loved the world more than he loved Christ. Two more are found in 1 Timothy 1.20. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Once again, if someone has never been delivered from Satan, has never been born again, how can they be delivered back to Satan? How do I know that I'm a child of God? I know we already looked at this. We'll look at, dive into it deeper. Turn with me to 1 John 1.12. I'm sorry, John 1.12, not 1 John. John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So this morning, have you believed on God? Do you believe that Jesus was his son, that he came and died, that he rose again? It's possible, but it's, I think it's rare for someone to truly believe who God is, to believe in Christ and to believe that he died and rose again and yet not be born again. Because if we are living a life of sin, often we will try to argue with biblical truth somewhere at some point. And so, if we believe in him, then we are a child of of God. Another passage I wanted to look at is in Romans chapter 8. Verses 15 and 16. For we have for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are 
the children of God. Another one is Galatians 3.26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And another one, 1 John 3.1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. If we believe in Jesus and in God, we can be born again, and we are made his children. We are no longer outcasts. We're adopted into his family. No, we weren't born in. We can't, none of us, just because our parents were Christians, born-again believers, it doesn't just come automatically, and that's why we need to be adopted in to the family of God. The next question, has God forgiven me? Turn with me to John chapter 3. Another way to ask it is, can God forgive me for my sins? John chapter 3, read verses 14 through 17. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So do you believe that anyone can be saved? Could Hitler have been saved had he repented before he took his own life? Could Stalin have been saved before he died? If we say yes, then can he not save any of us? No matter what we have done. And I believe, I, I believe the answer is clear, that God can save anyone. If he can save apostle, the Apostle Paul, who murdered Christians before he was born again, he can save you. The last question I want to dive into this morning is... Recently, someone, like I said, been a believer for over 10 years and never felt God's presence. Does this matter if we cannot feel God's presence? And I, I believe it does. I believe it can lead to a lot of struggles in our Christian life. I believe that we all experience our lives a little bit differently. Nobody has exactly the same experiences. Most of us born into different families. Even if we're born in the same family, we may have different experiences. And so how God shows himself to us, I think, can vary. How strong we sense his presence can vary. But I believe that God does want you to feel his presence, to know he's there to know that he's real and that he cares about and loves you. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 
I'd like to read verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. If you have no peace in your life, in your heart, then I believe that God's presence is most likely, is, sorry, is evading you. And I would say, seek God with your heart, whole heart, mind, and soul. Because I do believe, as, as I said earlier, that he wants to make himself known in your life. No, we are not allowed in our earthly bodies to see God physically. It says that we will die if we see him. We can't handle it. His presence is too mighty, too great. But he wants to show himself to you, I believe. And so I believe it's not wrong to ask. As it said here, that we can make our request known unto God. And if you're struggling with that this morning, seek God, pray, and ask that he would make himself known. Because he does want to bring you peace. And I believe that's one of the biggest evidences of God's presence and work in your life, that you're born again. That when things around are falling apart, you still have peace. You still know who's on the throne and who is in control of what's happening around us. And I want to close with uh, verse John 3.15, which I already read, but I'm going to read it again. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's put our faith, trust in him. If you are struggling with these questions this morning and you just feel like you cannot get answers, start by praying and seeking God, but also don't be afraid to seek out a minister, a close friend that you trust. I want that you to have that peace. God wants you to have that peace, and it is available to each one of you. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, you know each one that's here. You know what their struggles are, whether it's ones that I looked at this morning or something else. Help us, Lord, to seek you with our whole heart, mind, and soul. Help us, Lord, to walk with you each day, to think on good things, on godly things, to walk in the light and to avoid to. Avoid the darkness. But we realize, Lord, that we do fail, no matter how old we are, how long we've been a believer. 
Help us to repent and to remain walking with you. We just pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.